Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome into Seattle Sports Saturday. He's Taylor Jacobs. I'm Curtis Rogers. We survived the trade deadline. The asking price for us was way too high, so we're back each and every Saturday as we are from 11 to 1 right here on 710 ESPN Seattle and Taylor, we have the trade deadline this week, NHL free agency, which is the first time the city of Seattle has ever had to dabble in that. Kraken coming away with some impressive pieces, and then also the big story of the week, Seahawks training camp, which 710 is out there every single day that we're allowed to be. I mean, uh, the Seahawks over the next month or so here as they get ready for the 2021 NFL season. A little something for everybody this week, and uh, that is just... That is music to, I think, everybody's ears, especially now that we are getting into the meat of the sports calendar here in the city of Seattle. Oh, and don't forget for those outside sports fans, there was also the Olympics, the NBA draft. You got a Sounders game later today. So whatever your fancy, you found it this week if you're a sports fan. So a lot to get to, a lot to talk about in this uh, little two-hour show here. But yeah. Curtis, we survived the trade deadline. We would have cost at least two, three <laughs> top ten prospects. You know what I mean? It would have been a farm system yeah. clearer to get us. Yeah, and uh, you know what? I can understand why a market like, uh, I don't know, uh, Fresno wouldn't want to pull the trigger on that move. Or nah. a, a market like Albuquerque. You know, hey. They've been building for too long, Curtis. They've been true. building for too long. <laughs> You don't want to gut the farm system. At least that's what we were told. Uh, so we will get into some Mariners trade deadline talk in this hour for sure, as that was yesterday's big story, what the Mariners did this week and what they didn't do. So we'll get into that. But before we dive into it, let's get into this hour's big three. Number one. Well, Curtis, you mentioned it, the big story of the week, Seahawks training camp is back it started this week and while jamal adams and Dwayne brown are present at the facility they still remain off the field as they strive for a new contract one uh return to practice which was uh really nice to see was the reintroduction of fans to training camp and seeing people back on the berm the running of the 12s down to get their spots a pleasant sight for sore eyes, let's say that. And uh, you could feel the crowd when big plays were made. Uh, so it was great to see that. But as far as on-the-field stuff, some of the bigger takeaways. First and foremost, everyone's talking about the running backs. Chris Carson and Rashad Penny both looking great, both looking physically to be in fine form. Gerald Everett making some big plays on offense, some big catches out there, some oohs and ahs when he uh, makes some plays. And on the defensive side, Daryl Taylor definitely raising some eyes and uh, making his presence felt as he slides into that role formerly filled by K.J. Wright, who still remains unsigned. So if you're looking for more, Stacey Ross has an excellent breakdown, 710sports.com, on her thoughts, what stood out at Seahawks camp. We're going to get a little to, into it a little bit more at 1130, what the contracts with Jamal Adams and maybe Dwayne Brown could mean for the Seahawks team and what else we saw at Seahawks practice at 1130. Number two. The Mariners' week started on one of the highest notes in recent team history as they came all the way back from a 7-0 deficit to beat the Astros 11-8 on Monday night, thanks in large part to Dylan Moore's go-ahead grand slam in the bottom of the eighth inning. Just an absolute raucous scene at T-Mobile Park that night. 
But that feels like about a thousand years ago at this point, following the rest of what this week had to offer. Not even 24 hours after that highly emotional victory, Jerry Depoto and crew shook up the roster and clubhouse by dealing closer Kendall Graveman and Rafael Montero to the Astros for infielder Abraham Toro and Joe Smith. Some spicy quotes from unnamed players in that Mariners clubhouse were made public thanks to Ryan Divish of the Seattle Times in the immediate aftermath of that deal. But the Mariners, they were not done making some more trades during the week, adding veteran starter Tyler Anderson to the back end of the rotation. That trade was completed on late Tuesday night. And then on Thursday, they swung a trade with the Tampa Bay Rays for closer Diego Castillo, sending JT Chargois and minor leaguer Austin Shenton back to Tampa Bay. Now, all these moves, there was some controversy. There was a lot of conversation that stemmed specifically from the Kendall Graveman and Abraham Toro trade. We'll get into that coming up in this hour and take a look at whether or not these moves made the Mariners better in 2021 and and beyond, especially as they gear up for 2022 in hopes of really pushing this rebuild forward. We'll talk about that coming up in this hour. Number three. After a somewhat quiet expansion draft with mixed reviews from a lot of uh, critics and analysts, the Kraken landed some foundational pieces and focused on preserving their salary cap in that draft. Well, that led to some big signings this week as on uh, on Wednesday, they made the big splash at goalie with uh, Grubauer, our number one signing here, our number one goalie signing on a six-year, $35.4 million contract with an annual average value of $5.9 million. Seattle also bolstered its forward lines by signing Jaden Schwartz and Alexander Wenberg. Schwartz agreed to a five-year, $27.5 million deal, averages out to 5.5 mil, while Wenberg agreed to a three-year deal worth $13.5 million, average value $4.5 million. So, did they make enough moves? Are these three enough to make them contend for a playoff spot or even a divisional title? Did they make enough moves? Are they contending at all? Are you bought in on this team? We're going to talk about a lot of those questions coming up also in this hour at 11.45 as Kraken now making headlines, Curtis. We're talking hockey in July. Absolutely we are. When We never once talked it because we didn't have any team here to talk about. And now we do. The Kraken are just a couple months away from the start of their season. We talked yesterday to first-round pick Maddie Beneers on Jake and Stacy yesterday. You can catch that conversation at 710sports.com. Uh, really fun one. I mean, kid's just 18 years old and has the world in his hands. I mean, uh, when I was 18 years old, I was nowhere close to knowing what I wanted to do. And him being the number two overall pick, uh, stick tap to him. Uh, and just a, an incredible future he has lying out in front of him. But yeah, we'll get into some crack and talk coming up at 1145 talk about some of their first moves made in free agency and whether or not this kind of changes your outlook on their season that's coming up in this hour also some honorable mentions the hashtag free hector campaign it, it only goes so far it only i think it only works for the foreign substance policy on baseballs because hector santiago just a day after coming off the 10 day suspension list 
gets popped for 80 games for failing a PED test with Major League Baseball. Santiago was very forthright in his apology uh, statement that he released. Uh, he admitted to taking a substance while missing the 2020 season that was still in his system in the 2021 season. So Santiago will likely be out for the rest of this year. And who knows what his status will be coming into next year. I can't imagine the Mariners would bring him back. And I don't know if, if this is the end of his playing career because he's a, a wily veteran, 33 years old, has bounced around Major League Baseball for the last couple of years. But I'll say this, Santiago owning up to it and, and releasing that statement and basically saying, like, yeah, I'm the one to blame here. I'm not going to throw anybody else under the bus really does go to show the, the character behind the guy because we saw his incredible personality just a little bit after he was suspended initially by Major League Baseball. Uh, I have, Taylor, I don't know, in my, in my years of following the Mariners and, and now covering the Mariners, I can't think of somebody that endeared themselves to Mariners fans quicker and, uh, you know, even further on than Hector Santiago has. No, yeah, he almost has that cult status here where he's just one of those players that like if you know him you're like you're in it's like a cool kids crowd that if you knew about Hector Santiago and what he did uh and then unfortunately he did some other stuff that is going to prevent him from playing the rest of the season so um yeah I I would almost guess that this might be the end just because it might be difficult to come back and look it was I'm assuming he was taking those you know, performance enhancing drugs to stay up and stay ready for the majors as he was uh, biding his time last year. So yeah, it's an, it's unfortunate to see anyone get popped like that. And uh, especially the, the fan favorite, the, the free Hector uh, goes, goes the, the way of other bad hashtags now. <laughs> plenty of those, plenty of those. Uh, and then also some, I guess, housekeeping news with the Mariners. They made a very important hire in their organization this week, hiring Katie Griggs as their president of business operations. She comes to the Mariners from Major League Soccer. She was in charge of the uh, what was it? Atlanta, and they're just incredible, incredible soccer organization, Atlanta United. Uh, they have really taken MLS by storm, especially in the South. Uh, as they have become one of the premier franchises in that league, hoping her expertise in, in building that organization comes over to the Mariners. One key note about that, it, she was labeled as president of business operations, which, which kind of speaks to maybe them splitting up the team president roles. You've got a business operations president, and I would expect a baseball operations president soon to follow. No word on who that might be. Obviously, with Jerry DePoto's contract status kind of up in the air, maybe he could get that position maybe there's somebody else but it, it would point to that role being split into two i don't mind that and i think that's actually beneficial for teams that you can split it and have one per person truly focus on the baseball side of things and one person focus on the operations because if you've been to t-mobile park at any point in the past few years you know what a world-class ballpark it is and what an experience you get when you go there so uh, to maintain those things and to hopefully keep the uh, organization growing and make them more competitive year by year. Uh, yeah, it's nice to see this split um, in the job. And then hopefully uh, the Mariners go out and get their guy for the baseball side of things, too. Could be Jerry. Could be someone else. I guess we'll find out. 
could be. And then also later today, the Sounders taking on the San Jose Earthquakes at 2 p.m. Sounders, they've dropped, what, two or three, so hopefully they can get back on the winning side of things, get back to that record-setting start they got off to this season. Uh, that one's coming your way at 2 p.m. this afternoon, taking on the San Jose Earthquakes. Coming up in this hour, we'll get into some Seahawks training camp observations. Jamal Adams is, is in town. What does that mean for his contract negotiations? But up next, did the Mariners let a prime opportunity to add go by and do you think they are better after the deadline than they were beforehand we'll get into that coming up here on seattle sports saturday seattle sports saturdays with curtis rogers and taylor jacobs on 710 espn seattle Welcome back to Seattle Sports Saturday. Join in on the conversation at 710-710, the Mac and Jacks text line. I'm here with Taylor Jacobs. I'm Curtis Rogers. We're with you until 1 o'clock here on Seattle Sports Saturday. The big story, at least in the Mariners' world, yesterday was the trade deadline, which came and went. The Mariners are not making a move on Friday, but they did make a couple of moves this week. I think the most notable one, obviously, being the Kendall Graveman for Abraham Toro trade. I mean, yeah, you can lump Rafael Montero and Joe Smith into that deal, but that was just each team taking each other's broken pitcher for the other broken pitcher. It was Graveman for Toro. Let's, let's you know, that's what that trade was. Taylor, when you look at that trade, we've had about, what, three or four days now to digest it, to to look at it, to dissect it. Do you feel any different about that move now than you did in the immediate aftermath of hearing the news back on Tuesday? Yeah, 100% I feel different. Now, I I still feel like in a vacuum that trade was not great, right? That if you just look straight up those players, what the team, the reaction from the team, everything like that. The timing, it just couldn't have been worse, right? But to go out and get an arm like Castillo in the end, I think, and you have a piece like Toro there as well now who's controllable. To me, they they did all they could to buy now and not sell the farm. I think some of the things that we're going to, and we'll we'll talk about this here, um, some of the deals they didn't make were the best deals they made this past week. And I think that's one thing to remember is that they didn't trade some of these big names, the George Kirby's, you know what I mean? Those guys, the, the Emerson's, the Martes, the, all, all those names that you know down in the farm system are still down there. And they added a little bit more. And of the pieces at the beginning of the season, I think we had a conversation like this, that if you get someone who pops like Kendall Graveman popped, you have to move him. And, and I know that's not what you want to hear as a player. And when you're, when you're in that clubhouse and he's such a great clubhouse guy, that's not what you want to hear. But unfortunately, they, they can't run the team like a fan or like a player. They have to run it like a, like a GM. So to me, I, I after all that, I, I like it. So what about you, Curtis? Do you, do you, after a few days, the deadline has passed. What do you think about it? Yeah, I, I think Dave Wyman put it really nicely the other day when talking about these trades, and he mentioned the guys on the roster, they're playing for now. They don't care about 
two, three, four years down the road the same way that the front office does. And I think that's why they had such a strong reaction to the trade because Kendall Graveman was a very well-liked guy in this clubhouse. He was somebody that I think a lot of people pointed to as a leader within the clubhouse. And players, they don't care about you know how many years of club control the team has over them. They just want to go out there and win. And I think when you look at that trade, it was very much, and the reaction to it, I think that's why it was such a strong reaction because it's like, well, Kendall Graven is having a career season. He's got an ERA under one and has been pretty dominant as the Mariners closer. Why on earth would you move this guy? But looking at what the Mariners did later on in the week, getting Diego Castillo, who is younger than Graveman, who I think is definitely on the level of him in terms of reliever. And then also he's got three more years of club control. I mean, Graveman was going to be a free agent after this season. You don't know what his free agency price tag was going to be. It might be more than what Castillo is going to make in arbitration here. So the Mariners made a pretty sound investment in their bullpen by getting Diego Castillo rather than sticking with Kendall Graveman for the next two months. And they got Abraham Toro in it. But like we talk about the clubhouse chemistry, at least in the immediate aftermath of the trade was thrown off in a big way. And I think we saw that in the final two games of that Astros series where they got off to slow starts in both games. They battled back on what Tuesday night made it an eight, six ball game. But then on Wednesday you could tell that they just did not have enough gas as they petered out 11 to four to the Astros. But Taylor, when you look at these trades, I mean, I don't necessarily think the Mariners bullpen took a step back because you've got Castillo. And also this puts a bigger spotlight on Paul Seawald, who has, in my opinion, I think Paul Seawald has actually been better than Kendall Graveman has in 2021. And, Look, Seawald has been pitching incredible. Why not give that guy more innings, more high-leverage situations? Uh, Because right now, the Mariners' bullpen, I don't think, is any worse off now than they were prior to this week. No, and again, I think one thing that we we shouldn't overlook in this, and you mentioned it just a second ago, is that Graveman's contract is up at the end of the season. He's a free agent. Could he end up back in Seattle behind Castillo maybe as a setup guy? That's a strong possibility as well. If they like him that much and they feel that passionately passionately about him, he is available. But I, I don't think the bullpen took a step back at all. I, if you look at the video on Twitter, and I think Brandon Gustafson of 710sports.com tweeted it out, the overlay of him uh, with his two pitches and the, the way the, the fastball and the uh, – I think it's a, his slider – just the the movement on those pitches and how the one moves at nothing and just straight heat and the other one is straight cutting away. Uh, it looked pretty cool to see that overlay. So Castillo has some great stuff. Again, he's had some great performances this year. One of the worst ones being against this Mariners team. So he doesn't have to worry about facing them again, which is great for him. So, yeah, I think, again, we in the moment, in that day, uh, way, way confused about what, what was going on. But at the end of the week, it came into clarity and the, the plan became a little bit more clear. And again, the moves they didn't make may be the best moves they made last week. I think that's a great point you bring up there because looking at the price tag for a lot of these free or a lot of these trade candidates, Mike Salk 
tweeted out that he had heard the pr- the asking price for Royal second baseman Whit Merrifield was top of the Mariners farm system, which we're talking probably one of those top four prospects of Kelnick, Rodriguez, Marte, and Kirby, which, boy, for a 32-year-old second baseman, no thanks. Like, I- I'll pass yeah, nah. on that. I'll-, I'll-, I'll try to look somewhere else. And then we saw what the Blue Jays had to give up for twin starter Jose Barrios, who at times is the twins ace, but also is probably more of a number two guy. They had to give up their number two prospect in Austin Martin. And then also their number four prospect in Simeon Woods Richardson, number two and number four in the Mariners system was what Julio Rodriguez and George Kirby, like uh, for, for Jose Barrios, who has one more year of control after this year, that is a price tag. I'm not willing to pay for a number two starter. If if you're going to get an ace of aces in that deal, maybe you make that trade. But like you said, some of the trades the Mariners didn't make, probably the best moves that weren't made over the last week. And uh, another thing when watching the trade deadline yesterday and watching it pass and the Mariners not make a move on Friday, we heard earlier this week, the Mariners are expecting Kyle Lewis and Jake Fraley back at some point over the next couple of weeks. Do you think those guys kind of represent additions to the offense by not having to go make a trade? Yes, 100%. And I know that that has to be what Jerry and Scott are talking about is of these guys being like midseason additions because you're getting those bats back into the lineup. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Kyle Lewis is like physically uh, and how much they play him and if how, you know, how quickly they rush him back. And like I mean equally with Fraley as well, right? But Kyle Lewis is the guy, the rookie of the year. You have, you know, all these expectations still around him. He was sort of the first piece to be there to say, "Hey, things are changing. It's not like it used to be because Kyle Lewis's don't come around every so often and we have one now." So um, it'll be great to see those guys back in the lineup. I, I'm curious to see how much, and, and I'll throw it back to you, Curtis, how much do you think we'll see those guys the rest of the season as we head towards the off season where they can recover a little bit longer? Yeah, I I don't know if, if Lewis is going to be playing every single day, especially because of the injuries that he has sustained this season, the one in spring training and then the one uh, about a month or so ago. That, to me, just kind of says that, you know what, the Mariners are probably better off kind of, you know, to steal a term from the NBA, load management with Kyle Lewis. And you've got Jared Kelnick, who can play center field. You've got Jake Fraley, who can play center field. And you've got Lewis and Hanniger. That's four really good outfielders that you can kind of cycle through. You know, some days you go with Fraley, Kelnick, and Hanniger. Some days you go with Kelnick, Lewis, and Hanniger. Some other days you go Fraley, Lewis, and Hanniger. So, you know, the Mariners have plenty of options in that outfield right now, and I think that suits them very well, especially as we get, you know, into the meat of the pennant race here. And look, if the Mariners do find themselves playing for a wild card at the end of October – I'm going to be celebratory of that fact. If they don't play for a wild card, it does put a magnifying glass on 2022. And we're going to get into that coming up in the 12 o'clock hour, just how much pressure the Mariners will have next year. If you know, they do find themselves in a position to spend and and to really hit on these top prospects of theirs. But I, I think they're in a position right now to where I don't know if they're necessarily playing with house money because of, 
DePoto and Services contract status. But look, if they do find themselves in the postseason after the moves that the A's and the Yankees made, boy, it's hard to it's hard to be mad at what the Mariners did at the trade deadline because they didn't sacrifice their future. Yeah, and look, they they keep winning games and they're above five hundred and they're competitive and. They play. Cl- they either get blown out or they play in a really, really close game. So that I mean, that's what you want to see from a young team. You want to see them get better, take some of those lumps, come back, compete the next day. And if you win, you know it, it's great. Again, it's it, it's sort of a win-win scenario, like you mentioned there, Curtis. That like if you get those wins, you're you're in the playoff hunt. Great. If not, you're getting some of these guys some valuable time in the bigs. Where, again, it, it will put more pressure on next year, but you will feel a little bit more confident in this team because of it. Coming up next, Jamal Adams. All eyes were on him in Seahawks camp, which is a good thing because that means he's here. So what does that mean for his contract extension negotiations? We'll get into that as well as some other training camp observations next on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seahawks are in camp. They are the whole team's there, all 90 of them, including Jamal Adams, who that was the big question mark coming into this week is whether or not Adams would report to camp with his contract status still unsettled beyond this season. And Taylor, I'll start off by saying I am very encouraged by Adams being in camp because that was the one question mark. I think the biggest question mark amongst this entire team. And it it was just like, if Adams isn't there, that kind of speaks to some bad blood between the two sides, which I don't think exists right now, because as we've learned over the years, you got to be present to negotiate. Yeah, and especially here in Seattle, the the couple that stand out, the Earl and the Cam, when they weren't there in the contract negotiations, were tough, right? And uh, from everything we've heard from Adams, from the time he was traded here to now, it's been about being here in the long term and how happy he is to be here because he's seen the other side. And the and by the other side, I mean the dark side of the NFL where you lose at a regular clip just like the Seahawks win. Um, so, again, being here, we saw him working out. We saw him talking and engaging with the fans, standing with the DBs, talking with the, the safeties and some of the other players out there on the defense while they're going through these, you know, 7-on-7, seven 11-on-11 seven, 11 11 reps. Um, it was great to see that. And, again, like you mentioned – how can you not be encouraged by seeing that he's here? He's showing up. It just feels exactly like the Bobby Wagner situation where, you know, the deal's going to get done. It's a matter of finding the right cap number, how you're going to balance the money, spread it out over the years. But Jamal Adams, I believe is going to be a Seahawk for years and years to come. I think so too. I think this only bodes well for the two sides in order to get this deal done and then once it's done, everybody can wor- stop worrying about it, and and we can stop having these con- these you know conversations where it's like, oh, do you even bring Jamal Adams back next year? And we've heard from people, uh, I think the NFL Network's Mark Ross was chief among them, saying like, why would the Seahawks ever bring back Jamal Adams? Well, 
they would do so because they gave up two first-round picks for him. That's why you bring him back, because you can't just give up that kind of bounty for a player and then let him walk. Like, that would be a fireable offense among any other, you know, front office in the NFL. Uh, I think the Mar- or, uh, Mariners, I think the Seahawks defense is incredibly better with Jamal Adams out there. And we saw that last year after he missed that stretch of four games, the defense just was not that good. And I get that Adams is not great in coverage compared to other high price safeties. I would still put him better than average in, uh, in coverage than other high price safeties. But the way that he impacts the game is, is just so much different than what we're used to seeing out of the safety position. Uh, you know, he's very much involved at the line of scrimmage. He's making tackles all over the place. Uh, he, his, like he tells everybody, he's a weapon. And I think the Seahawks are better off with as many weapons as possible. Him being a weapon on the defensive side of the ball. I think we kind of, when we use the word weapon in the NFL, it only seems like it's used on the offensive side of the ball. And I don't think that's fair at all to defensive players. And why can't they be considered weapons too? And I think Jamal Adams is very much, uh, you know, fits that description going forward. Yeah, I was uh, standing on the sidelines with former safety Paul Moyer, friend of the station, and Dave Wyman, and they were talking about how if the Seahawks are somehow able to to, to get Daryl Taylor and Jamal Adams on the same side lined up and, and show blitz, it's going to be really difficult for those offensive linemen in those few seconds to determine if those two guys are coming. Who do you pick up? Because Daryl Taylor, also showing a lot of athleticism so far in this training camp, could be a one-two punch on the same side and could really confuse some of those offensive linemen on who they want to let through and who they want to focus on. Um, Because there's also going to be the defensive linemen down there that they got to worry about. So to me, hearing that from Paul Moyer, a former safety, and and Dave Wyman, a former linebacker, talking about that cohesion, talking about the impact of of safety getting forward. And again, look – he plays defense for a reason. If he had great hands, he'd be a wide receiver. That's what they always say about defenders, right? So I have no issue with, with him not having the super crazy interception numbers because, like you said, Curtis, when you see number 33 on the field, you know and you can feel his impact. Whether you're a Seahawks fan or an opposing team's fan, you know Jamal Adams and what he's doing out on that football field. Yeah, and you can point to his pro football focus grade all you want and say, well, this the reason why they don't have him rated this high is because of his coverage. But I'm telling you, when other teams are game planning for the Seahawks defense, you know who they're circling on the video every single time? You know who they're taking note of? Like you said, it's number 33, probably first, and then it's probably number 54 second. And then, you know, now it's going to be maybe, you know, number eight, Carlos Dunlap on the defensive line. But Adams is probably number one or number two priority for opposing offenses to keep in mind on the defensive side of things for the Seahawks. And that speaks to his importance on this defense. And 
while I do think the pro football focus does a lot of good, I, I don't necessarily think they're able to quantify the actual value that somebody like Jamal Adams brings to the Seahawks defense, which is also going to make these negotiations tough because where do you slot him in? Do you make him the highest paid safety? Do you make him the highest paid defensive player on the Seahawks defense? So far, we've heard the Seahawks are comfortable with making him the highest paid safety, but not the highest paid player on the Seahawks defense they'd want to slot him in just beneath Bobby Wagner and the 18 million per that he's making Taylor when you look at these negotiations how quickly do you think they might get wrapped up do you think maybe this week or the week after and and do you think he is able to get a little bit more than Bobby I don't know about getting more than Bobby. I think they really value having Bobby be that top earner, but I still think he can be in that 17, 18 million. And look, maybe it starts as Adams is lower and they, they backfill his contract and it increases to be more than Bobby Wagner's contract in the end where, you know, it might not average out to be the same exact um, as Bobby's. I could see a situation like that. Um, but to me, the next two weeks, I think it, it, it's getting done. He'll be here. He's here. They're currently negotiating. Um, the, the first preseason game is two weeks from today. So to me, I think he's in uniform. I don't know if he's playing, how much he plays in that first game, but I think Jamal Adams is wearing that 33 and that beautiful Seahawks jersey on the sideline here in two weeks. Coming up in this hour still to get to some Kraken free agency talk. Have your expectations for them in year one changed after the first wave of free agency? We'll get into some of their big signings that they made this week. And then up in the noon hour, we'll get you a big three and then continue our Mariners conversation about how much pressure they've put on themselves heading into 2022 based off the moves they made this week. But yeah, up next, Kraken, have your expectations changed for them? This is Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Thank you for joining us here in this first hour of Seattle Sports Saturday. If you've missed any of the first hour or if you miss any of the second hour, make sure you're checking out the podcast at 710sports.com. He's Taylor Jacobs. I'm Curtis Rogers. And Taylor, this week was the opening of free agency in the NHL, the first time the Kraken have had uh, a chance to dabble in it league-wide. They had their exclusive negotiating period prior to the expansion draft. They were able to get a couple of contracts done in that portion of it, most notably uh, Chris Drieger, the goalie, now the backup goalie, I should say, and then also uh, Jamie Alexiak, the defenseman from the Dallas Stars, But this week, a few splashes made by the Kraken, and one, I think, the big surprise move of the week was their signing of goalie Philip Grubauer because I think there was a a common thought after the expansion draft when they didn't draft Carey Price that, hey, we're going to go into this season with Chris Drieger as our starter and see how that goes. But the number one goalie available via free agency basically falls into the lap of the Kraken, that's got to put a lot of people at ease, especially those people who were feeling a little worried after Seattle passed on the opportunity to draft Carey Price in the expansion draft. 
Yeah, and he's already come out and said, look, I want to be that Marc-Andre Fleury to this Kraken organization. I want to be that veteran leader. I mean, he's 29, but veteran enough with some of this younger type of roster. And he's been there. He's played in some of these big games. He's been competing at one of the top levels in the NHL. So... How how can you not? And then, like you just mentioned, Drieger then slides back, right? He becomes the backup. And for people who don't know, backup goalies in the NHL are so important because they do get so much time on the ice. They do start games from time to time in this regular season and come on and and uh, help get Grubauer some of that rest mid-game too. So, yeah, it, it, it'll be exciting now to know that they do have that great, um, netminder, the defense is strong. That was one of the emphasis, the, the the focuses of the draft was defense. So, and then you have the young playmakers uh, and Maddie Beniers, Maddie Ice uh, up at front, and it, it's it's going to be cool to see an, uh, a cool uh, a young guy grow up here in Seattle and be a focus point of this franchise. And I know you got to talk to him, Curtis, but you put out a tweet earlier and you talked about the Kraken and how. They nailed it, and you thought they perfectly executed this offseason with Philip Grubauer. Why do you think they were able to go out and achieve this at that position specifically? Yeah, well, when it comes to their goalie position, in the lead-up to the expansion draft, we mentioned Carey Price uh, at the start of this segment and how, oh, man, this guy's a future Hall of Famer. He just took Montreal to the Stanley Cup final. He, he's He's got history in this state playing for the Tri-Cities Americans. Uh, His wife is from here. But looking at his cap number, which was about $10 million, and then he was also doing $11 million signing bonus shortly after the expansion draft. So Seattle would have been on the hook for about $60 million over the course of the five remaining years on his deal. That's a lot to give up for a guy who's got health concerns and has also he underwent surgery on his hip, and I believe he's going to be out 10 to 12 weeks because of that. So Seattle avoided a potential hairy situation with Carey Price. They get Chris Drieger, who I think they were comfortable with going into the season as the starter. But look, now that you've got him as your backup – in addition to Philip Grubauer, who's coming off an incredible season, a career year. He was a Vezina Trophy finalist back in 2021. Like, this is a guy that can be your number one netminder, sort of in that role that Marc-Andre Fleury was with Vegas in their inaugural season. I'm not saying Grubauer is a, a potential Hall of Famer by any stretch of the imagination, but I think at this stage in his career... He is a much better option than Price would have been for Seattle. And then, in addition to getting Grubauer about half the cost of Carey Price, they were able to flip one of the goalies that they took in the expansion draft, Vitek Vanacek. They traded him back to the Washington Capitals and got a second-round pick in the 2023 NHL draft. So not only do you have a really good starting goalie, you've got a really good backup, and then you were able to get some draft capital on top of that you don't get that if you take Carey Price in the expansion draft and the Kraken were able to maximize their future and their present by skipping on Carey Price. And I just, I, I think that was a masterful move made by Ron Francis and the Kraken. And it really kind of goes to show that, you know, I think, I think they've got this thing down. I think they're starting to, uh, to get it. It, it, even though the rest of the league 
has kind of conspired against them and is like, look, we're going to make this as hard as possible on Seattle. We're not going to have a repeat of what Vegas was. Even with that, the Kraken have put themselves in a very enviable spot going into year one. So what do you think? What's left for the Kraken? Is there anything left for them to add? Should they add? I know they still have cap space. Should they just hold on to the cap space and go to the regular season? Or is there a name or two out there, Curtis, that you still kind of have your eye on that they might be able to to take this team from a contender to a true uh, top of the top flight NHL team? Yeah, well, they've got about $16 million of cap space left, which is very tempting if you're going to be spending in free agency here. But one thing to keep in mind with the NHL is that the salary cap will not increase next season. So to have available cap space this year is definitely going to work to your advantage, but also next year it is going to work to your advantage as well in order to get some of these upcoming free agents to sign here. I I think they could definitely use another score. I think the addition of Jaden Schwartz this week was really good. Uh, Alexander Wenberg, he had a, a nice season for the Florida Panthers. I think if you get him in a role where he's going to see an increase in playing time and just an increase in, of importance, maybe there's you know uh, some potential that could be untapped there. Uh, but yeah, there's plenty of unrestricted free agents still available. I just wonder if Seattle's going to be in on them or if they're going to say, you know what, I think our cap space right now is our best asset in order to maybe take on some contracts later on in the season in addition to gaining some draft capital. Uh, I've heard Casey Sekius from the New York Islanders, a forward for them. He had been in talks with Seattle up until they had decided to sign Jaden Schwartz. So I don't know if that's going to be a possibility. Uh, Kyle Palmieri, also from the New York Islanders, he's another guy who I've seen you know, floated out there for Seattle. So who knows what they could be up to on that front. Uh, and, you know, look, they've got a bounty of draft picks now. They picked up one in that trade we mentioned with Vitek Vanacek. They picked up another in their trade of Curtis McDermott earlier this week. So... I just really like what they're doing here in free agency using this cap space uh, in order to really show like, hey, you know what? You can conspire against us all you want, but we're still going to be able to get what we want and really outbid a lot of these teams. Look, I look at Vegas and what they've had to do this week. And we'll mention this uh, coming up in the big three, but they had to let their Marc-Andre Fleury, their starting goalie, go for nothing and yeah they had robin laner and as their backup goalie who is really good in his own right but letting go somebody of his caliber for basically a salary dump i mean that kind of speaks to where other teams are in their cap structures with this flat cap there's gonna be a lot of players to take advantage of over the next couple of weeks months and even years as the nhl you know tries to regain some of the lost revenue that happened because of the COVID shutdowns so real quick before we get out of here, last question would be, if this is the roster, what are the expectations for this team? Where do you see them sitting as far as their place uh, in the Western Conference? In the Western Conference, I mean, you've still got really good teams like Colorado, who this last year probably would have gone to the Stanley Cup Finals, had had things shaken out in the playoffs, had it been a chalk you know, run in the playoffs, Colorado probably would have ran away with it in the Western Conference. 
But in the Pacific Division where Seattle's at, it's Vegas and then everybody else. And everybody else is going to be fighting for one of the last couple of playoff spots. And I think Seattle right now has a roster that can compete with any of those teams night in and night out. And I I don't want to set everybody's expectations too astronomically high heading into year one. But I would say playoffs is very reasonable expectation for Seattle in year one because of just how much flexibility they have. Look at, you know, maybe trade deadline in this upcoming season, there's a name that becomes available and Seattle's like, Hey, we've got, you know, the cap space and the draft capital to make something happen. Let's do it. Pick up a big name. I'm, I'm all for it. And I I would hope that they would have that aggressiveness within them uh, and maybe look to improve that way. So I think playoffs is, is reasonable. I'm not saying they're going to be a top four team in the Western conference, but maybe, you know, back half six, seven, eight, I think that'd be a really good foundation to sort of launch this franchise off of. And hopefully they can, you know, do some big, big things going into year two, year three, and and just make this a force in that Pacific division. Yeah, I I would love to see that as a season ticket holder, especially Curtis. I would love to see them be a little (laughs) bit, uh, have that early success. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that first puck drop. In Climate Pledge Arena against the Canucks, building that rivalry, and uh, October can't come soon enough. It really can't. It really can't. I'm super, super pumped for it. Coming up in the next hour, we will get you a big three of all the biggest stories on a national level. we got the NBA draft, the Major League Baseball trade deadline, and the Olympics going on in Tokyo. So much to get to. We've still got an hour to go here on Seattle Sports Saturday on 710 ESPN Seattle.